So for me, I was involved in church as a kid, super involved. Um, but when we started dating, I was looking for a church home over here since I was spending so much time with her. And she was like, oh, well, I go to Northside. So she kind of just brought me here. This has kind of always been my home church since we moved to New Albany. In high school and middle school, I had some friends that would come here and I would come on the weekends with them and loved it. But really, once I started becoming an adult, needed to make that decision that I knew I wanted Jesus in my life. And yeah, I was, I was in college, decided to really start coming back and drug Mark in here with me. <laughs> <laughs> in 2019, we had Mercy, our youngest one. So that was a very trying time for us, but Northside was always here for us and we started our outreach work and we knew that we needed to serve more, do something more. And when setting the table presented itself, we just felt God calling us like, it's our time now. It's that to trust him with our finances. Cause for me, that was something that was always hard to let go of. Like Victoria said, she is a worrier when it comes to finances. I am not. So I've always been the type of person, money comes, money goes. Um, so I never really worried when it came to that stuff. So when she was excited and wanted to sign up for the, the Set the Table initiative and she threw out a number and I was like, that's cool with me. And then she was, threw out a higher number and I was like, ah, okay, let's, let's do it. If you, if you really want to do it, let's do it. And that's, that's kind of where we landed. So COVID hit, it hit everyone, um, it hit the world and we had to make some life decisions. Um, all of our kids would have to, of course, be at home. We're both working from home. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a lot. It put a lot of stress on us. Uh, at that moment, we, we, we kind of had to have that talk about what's gonna be best for our family in this moment. And she came up with me uh, taking a leave of absence from work. Immediately after that, after getting the confirmation that it was okay, and knowing that I wasn't going to be making any money, I went into a mental space of, I'm not providing for my family. I'm not, maybe this is the wrong decision. I was depressed, of course, on top of with, with COVID hitting. And you know, anytime you're in a relationship uh, and one party is depressed, it weighs in mm -hmm. on the relationship. I knew I had this voice like to trust God, but then reality set in. And like you said, I'm, I'm a worrier. The enemy tried to like isolate me, like you're the only one making the income now for the face. So it was the complete opposite of what Mark was feeling, but I was struggling like I am the only one. Is this gonna be enough? And at the same time, having almost a mom guilt. In the midst of all that, we were volunteering mm -hmm. for Kid Town, and Kid Town is a program that is for, it's an after-school program that is for at-risk children in the area, in the New Albany area. With us volunteering for Kid Town for over two years at the time, um, I've been working closely with Zach Hubbard, and um, I always was making sure I was there for him, supported him, and through that, he, uh, he ended up telling me a little bit that he was planning on, uh, on moving. And he was like, man, I really think that you should take over for me. 
He's like, I don't want to see this program die because I left. And he was like, you've shown up consistently every week since this took off. That's the type of, type of leader these kids need, someone that's going to be consistent in their life. I think God put me in this position for a reason. And me uh, taking on the role here on staff has uh, given us courage to step, step mm -hmm. out. What today can I do? that looks like something Jesus did. It has given me an opportunity to, to live my life more like Jesus and connect unconnected people to Jesus. Yeah, we just thank God. Just thank God for his faithfulness and love Mark and Victoria and that the Lord led Mark through that season. And a lot of you can resonate with their story. Uh, that the past 18 months have not been the 18, easiest 18 months for any of you. And yet through the hardship and through the pain, you continue to see God's faithfulness and love that he has led Mark to be on staff now. And uh, just through his simple faithfulness of serving, God's opened new doors. And that's what setting the table is all about. It's not just about a generosity initiative. It's about an opportunity that you and I have to go into the community, to go into our everyday places and set the table of the good news and the gospel of Jesus. And if some of you, if that's resonate, I wanna invite you to go out to the living room afterwards and talk. We've got staff there that would love to connect you with Mark and the ministry that's going on here, just meeting kids right where they are. Uh, but I love God's faithfulness. And that's why we're doing this whole series of blueprints for a rebuilding year is because like Mark and Victoria, a lot of us were in that place of rebuilding. We're finding our footing. We're getting things back together. We're going, okay, God, what do you have for us? How do you move forward? And how do we do that together? And today we're gonna be talking about going back to the basics. And man, sometimes we just gotta go back to the basics of what we're doing. And I, there's a couple things we're going to talk about today, but one thing I just want to say this, you know, every week we, we welcome people online and, uh, you know, one, one of our kiddos got a little runny nose and cough and stuff. And we're like, we didn't want to freak people out. So they're, they're staying home. So my wife is at home right now with our kiddos on that. And, and we know that's what online's for. But before we welcome them in, I just got to share a story with you. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we, we do this and we welcome and we go, who knows who's on the other side, but something interesting has happened over the last month in particular. Uh, and what's interesting is this, uh, we have a family that's been tuning in for the last month, uh, which is incredible. A lot of people will check us out online before they'll ever come to the building. Uh, but what's interesting about this family is this, for the last month, they have been tuning in from Pakistan. And what's incredible is this. I mean, there's like ongoing dialogue and prayer and pictures. Here we are, our families come together and we left Hindu and now we're following Jesus as a family and this and that. And man, I just thought it was wild that last weekend as we're remembering the 20th anniversary of 9-11, God is still going into countries that are not allowed to say his name and rescuing and saving people. And so can we just welcome everybody online, no matter where they are. You know, that's why today we're talking about just coming back to the basics. We got to remember we have a God who, who there is no border that will keep him out. There, there, there's a God who there is no nation that he is not going after. He is a God of all nations, redeeming and calling all people back to himself. And that's why our mission here is just to connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ. We're saying, God, we want to be a part of your heart. We want to do what you've called us to do. Now, I know some of you are wondering, what is this thing? 
No, you're not, right? You're more wondering, Nate, why do you have football, right? You know, and one, it's this, because college football is here and fall is God's favorite season. It's in the scriptures, or maybe it's not, maybe it's on my heart, but, but I love this season. You know, I can't, we put our little fire pit together for our patio. We're, we're playing when it goes 70 degrees later this week. You know, we're gonna have the first fire pit of the year and we can't wait to do some chili and hang out. And we just love this season, it's so good. But the reason why I have this up here uh, is because there's a man named Vince Lombardi who's regarded as the greatest football coach of all time. And, and, you know, I see several football jerseys out here, you know, all these things going on. And, and what's neat about Vince Lombardi is this, whoever wins the Super Bowl wins the Lombardi trophy. You, you get the Lombardi trophy. You are the champion. And the reason why they named it the Lombardi trophy, they get, they get, everybody agrees, he's the greatest football coach of all time. What's fascinating about Vince Lombardi, if you begin to study him a little bit, is this. Even when he would win a championship, he would get all of his players together every year. And even when they wouldn't win a championship, if they were on a rebound year, they would get all the players together. They would get all the coaches together. And he'd gather around them. And this is what he'd say at the beginning of every year. Gentlemen, this is a football. Wow, Vince, man, unbelievable, right? We've never heard that before. Here's why he would say this every year. You know, sometimes we go, you know, no, 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 you need to be more innovative. You need to be more creative than that. Here's what Vince knew about football is this. Every year they needed to come back to the basics because here's why. If we're not careful, we'll not only forget the basics, but we'll start chasing other things. When they would win championships, here's what would happen. The temptation is to believe that they were that good and they would forget what made them so good to begin with. And so every year, Vince would just call them back and goes, gentlemen, this is a football. This is the basics. And see, we do this in life all the time. In your work, a lot of times, some of you get annoyed with it because quarterly you have to have meetings and you have to go over your vision, your mission, and your values. And what you do is this, you go, okay, how'd we do? And this is what happens every quarter, sometimes every week, sometimes every month, you have to sit there in your office and you have to have meetings. How are we doing? And what you're doing in that moment is this, you're coming back to the basics. How are we doing with the core mission of our church? Sometimes this happens in my household. Ruthie sits me down and she says, Nathan, these are dishes. And I'm like, yeah, so yeah, I forgot. Uh, no, she doesn't do that to me, right? But oftentimes, this is what happens in a relationship. Don't we fight over the smallest thing? We don't, know, we don't always fight over the big things. We fight over the small things, right? This is why we have to sit our kids down. Kids, this is a hamper, I know. And clothes go in the hamper, right? They're like, oh yeah, right? We have to keep coming back with our kiddos to the basics. We have to keep coming back over and over again. And here's why. Sometimes we get sick of the basics. But I'm telling you, what we're gonna find today in Nehemiah chapter eight is this. God knows this, that you and I never be, grow beyond the basics in our relationship with him. Matter of fact, it's the basics that when we keep coming back to him, when we keep coming back to his word, what I found is I will never graduate from God's word. I'll never get beyond it. Jim was talking about this idea that, you know what? Last week we went to this conference. It was incredible. Pastor, you just need to know our staff is incredible. Man, they, don't, they just don't love to serve you and love to serve our community. This is what I love about our staff. They love to serve other pastors. And we talked a couple of weeks about rebuilding the wall and somebody got assigned to the dung gate. We were assigned to the dung gate this last week as a staff, man. And I loved it. They did registration. They picked up trash. They did whatever it took. And I love it because this is what I know about our staff. They are committed to not 
forgetting the basics. That's saying, God, this is the way you've called us to live. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse six. Before we get in Nehemiah, it says it so well. Listen when Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse six says is this. Better one hand full of tranquility, full of peace. Man, better one hand in life full of peace than two handfuls of toil and chasing after the wind. Man, better is it to just have one handful but have peace then try to scoop up everything in life and chase everything in life and try to have two handfuls of everything only to find toil and frustration. And what Solomon was saying in that passage is this, he's going, come back to the basics. Because here's what happens. When we leave the basics, that's when life begins to break down. I know that in my life, and maybe you've experienced that as well. Man, when we forget the simple things of God, when we forget to put God as priority over all things, what happens is life begins to break down, not because God isn't faithful, but because we've begun to chase after the wind. We begin to pursue things. And matter of fact, this is why in Nehemiah, God is rebuilding the city because his people have gone after other things. And the city walls have been broken down for 141 years. Year after year, they've neglected the basics. They've neglected what God has for them. And here's what I want to do. I just want to read a couple passages and allow God's basics to come back. God is going to call his people back to these basics. He's going to call you and I to live by these basics. Some of them you may know, but some of them today you may need to recommit your life to. To say, God, man, I've been chasing things with my life and all I have are two handfuls of toil and strife and frustration. If you have your Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 or it'll be up on the screen but what happens is they rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. God's broken down people. God rebuilds his walls in 52 days. They go through an incredible story, through all sorts of opposition. And then this is what happens. They begin their life new. And this is what happens in verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. First thing they do is this, they, they rebuild the walls and they bring out God's word. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it out loud from daybreak till noon for six hours. You guys are getting off easy day, just an hour, right? I mean, think about that. They call everybody together and they just start reading for six hours. Hours He reads it from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and the women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. First thing they do is they bring out the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. I know it was hard during the six or seven months that we didn't get a chance to gather 18 months ago. And man, wasn't it good when we came back together? Man, it's just good to sing and to be together. Can you imagine not gathering for 141 years? Something powerful happened in this moment. See, sometimes we overrate or we underrate and we overforget the basics. We go, yeah, 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 God's law, God's word. Oh, okay, let, let, let's get on to something good. And man, the goodness is in God's word. But then what happens is just they start reading this, but then they get the Levites, they get the priests together. This is why we believe in life groups. They don't just hear God's word, they start talking about God's word together. So they get the Levites together. In verse eight, it says, then they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving it meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. 
Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They hadn't heard the Bible read before. They're going, what is this? We didn't know this good news existed. In verse 10, it says, and Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. See, in this moment, God is calling his people back to the basics. Three things I want to point out today that we're going to talk about that, not just that he pointed his people back in Nehemiah chapter 8, but three things he's pointing you and I back to the basics today. That we know life is crazy today. We know in the next couple months, who knows what it'll be like. In the next couple years, who knows what will happen then. And sometimes we just live in fear of this. And God's going, no, I'm going to call you back to the basics. So that no matter what you face in life, you will know how to live. Three things that we find in this passage are this. One, back to the, back to the basics calls you and I back to the authority of God's word. That you and I would live our life under the authority of God's word. That this would be the loudest voice in our life. But not only the authority of God's word, we would live with the community of God's people. This is what they did. They read God's word, but then they talked about it together. It's about the community of God's people. That's why last week was so good for me to be around other pastors. Because this is what I know about myself. There will never come a point where I won't need other people around me. But if I want to be faithful as I follow God, I need great men and women of God around me, encouraging me, speaking into my life. And then this is the third thing, the third basic that we find is this. God is going to call you and I to the humility of God's heart, the authority of God's word, the community of God's people, and the humility of God's heart. See, they rebuilt the walls, but see, walls are only for safety. But the word of God is for our salvation. See, it's the word of God that comes in and begins to change our lives. Matter of fact, there was a passage that, or a study that I, I came across that said this, because sometimes we, 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 we talk about, I don't know if you know this, but we are in a post-truth culture. Have you realized this? Where everybody argues, everybody goes, you know what? Oh, that's your truth? Well, I disagree. Well, why do you disagree? Because I don't believe that. Cite your sources, me. Right? And what we do is this. We go, you believe that? Well, I believe this. Well, who's the judge? And what happens is we are in this post-truth culture that we disagree. And so we go, who's the truth? See, this is why God in this moment is calling his people back to his word. He's going, I want you to know the word. And something happens. Something happens when you and I begin to devour God's word. I love it after church. A lot of times my family will go out to eat somewhere and I'll run into church family members here at Northside and I'll run into you guys. And, and, and it's so great to catch up and get a hang with you. And I'll, and I'll have somebody say this to me a lot of times. Oh man, incredible sermon today. Great service. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. What stood out to you? And then they go, uh, man, it was good. 
Oh, man. Oh, what was it? All of it. Just all of it, right? And I'm like, don't worry. I forget my points too, right? Like, like we go to bed Sunday night. We're like, man, that was awesome. I don't know what he said, but man, it was so good and the Lord spoke. And here's what happens. What we found is there's a number of studies that are out there. Actually, they've interviewed hundreds of thousands of people. And what they found is this. You know what changes your heart and your life? Bible engagement. Bible engagement is the number one thing that changes your life and my life. You know, we can be in God's word. I love that you're here. Love that you're online. One time. And sometimes what will happen later in the week, it'll be like, man, we didn't even go to church, right? We don't even recognize that we've been there. And sometimes two or three times we're in God's word a week and there's some good things that happen. But they saw this. There's a tipping point that happens in the life of a Christian when you and I are in God's word four times a week. And here's what happens. It begins to be a tipping point. That it's not just that we open God's word, that we begin to engage God's word and listen to the statistics of what happened when you and I open our Bibles four times a week when we engage God's word. These are the statistics that people set in. Those who struggle with excessive drinking in their life drop by 57% when they engage God's word four times a week or more. Those who struggle with pornography drop 61%. Those who struggle with sexual immorality drop 68%. Those who struggle with loneliness, even when they just open the Bible by themselves four times a week, loneliness drops by 30%. Here's why. John chapter 1, 1 says this, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. See, all of the Word, it's not just will you read the Bible, it's this. Will you let the Bible read you? And what happens is when you and I open our lives to God's word, we are opening our lives to the Holy Spirit. We're opening our lives to Jesus Christ. And what begins to happen is things begin to change in our lives. Now, I know some of you here today, you're going, Nate, I love that. I want my life to change, but I still struggle with the authority of the Bible. I I still struggle with the belief that I can trust the Bible. I just want to show you something real quick from Vody Bachman, a great pastor. I I listened to this sermon. It helped me because sometimes I can be a feeler and I need to be a thinker as well as a feeler. And some of you, you're analytic. I I just want to say there's nothing wrong with being analytical at all. You need facts. Facts are good. And the truth of God never fears investigation. Here's Vody Bachman's five reasons why we can trust the reliability of the Bible. Maybe for some of you want to take a picture of this. This is on our sermon notes. But man, I listened to his sermon on why we can trust the Bible. Super helpful for me. First one he says is this. We can trust the Bible because of the reliable collection of historical documents. Luke chapter 1.1, Luke, a doctor, was sent commissioned to go and evaluate everything, to present the word to Theophilus. We have reliable, a collection of historical documents. Not only that, the Bible was written by eyewitnesses. That eyewitness account was this, and not only that, during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. The Apostle Paul wrote the New Testament while other disciples of Jesus who saw Jesus raised from the dead, Peter, James, John, He wrote while they were alive. They could have said, Paul, you're making it up. And no, he's not making it up. Eyewitnesses were around when other eyewitnesses wrote the Bible and they wrote reporting supernatural events. They weren't writing about themselves. They were writing about what happened. And all of this was because of what took place for the fulfillment of specific prophecies. See, this is why we can trust the word of God. It is consistent. It is over and over again true throughout all generations. 
We don't have to fear. If we have questions about the Bible, we can find questions. In Isaiah chapter 53, it talks about by his wounds, we are healed. That prophecy was 700 years before Jesus walked this earth. That's a big time for things to not happen the way God set it up. And yet it happens the way that God set it up. See, we can trust the reliability of the Bible. God is saying, here's what happens if you want your life to change. This is a Bible, right? That we come back to the simplicity of God's word, that we fill our lives with God's word. But here's the thing, we don't just fill our lives with God's word. We fill our lives with the community of God's people. See, we need one another to come around each other. This is what happens in this passage. They open God's word, but they don't just read God's word. They begin to discuss it with each other. See, when we talk God's word, when we share God's word, when people speak God's word into us, life begins to change. What I love, it says this in verse 10. It says, Nehemiah, when they were weeping, Nehemiah says, oh, time out. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drink and send some to those who have none because this day is sacred. Don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We got to have people who speak into us. And I did the Hebrew study on this phrase, choice food and sweet drink. And you know what that means? It means barbecue and sweet tea. Praise the Lord. Right, right there in the scripture, right? Okay, maybe not. This is why you need to challenge and make sure I'm speaking the truth here. Right? But Nehemiah stops and he goes, time out. See, they were so defeated. They were weeping. They didn't have direction in life. And what happens is this. Nehemiah stops and he says, oh, hold up. Hold up. I know you're down in life right now. I know you're overwhelmed in life right now. But listen, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord. Question for you and I today is this. What's stolen our joy over the past 18 months? What's stolen your joy? See, this is why we got to have the community of God to come around us. Let me be honest for you. This is... Uh, it's been a hard season for everybody, and I think it's good for all of us to slow down and evaluate and ask ourselves that question, where's my joy? One of the biggest things that have been going on in my own life in this season is this. You know, right before the pandemic hit, we launched this setting the table initiative, creating more room, reaching more people, doing all sorts of stuff. Here was the hardest part of the last 18 months for me. It took us three years to pray and to plan that, and it was gone in three minutes. You ever work on something for a long time only for it to be thrown away in the trash can? <laughs> and you're like, boy, glad I spent all the time in that. And here's what's been reminded over the last 18 months for me. This is what God's been speaking to me. Nate, where's your joy? Here's what the Lord's been speaking deeper into my heart is this. Instead of the joy of the Lord being my strength in this season, this is what he's convicted me of. Nate, here's what your joy has been. The joy of your effort has been your strength. And guess what? All of our tanks are empty, aren't they? We're going, I, I got nothing left. And the Lord is going, I know. That's why, Nate, it's not the joy of your effort is your strength. It is the joy of the Lord. It is the joy of Jesus that when we face the hardest times, there's always something left 
in the tank. It's not you, it's him. It is the joy of the Lord that in this season and when we come out of the season and in the next season and the future and in the five years and the new plans that I have, Nate, it's not the joy of your work. It is the joy of Jesus that is your strength, amen? This is what we cling to. This is what we hold to. Here's been my problem. A lot of times we get all excited. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Listen to what it says, the very next verse. The joy of the Lord is your strength. This is why we need to have people speak into our lives. Remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then the Levites, they calmed the people down. And this is what they said. Be still. Help me, Jesus. All right? Because we want to do things. We want to fix things. Let's go back to the drawing board. Let's, da, 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 let's get after it. And Jesus says, here's what I need you to do in this next season. I just need you to be still. I need you to be still. Why? So that the joy of the Lord can be your strength again. This is why we come back to the basics. Because here's what we find in the joy of the Lord. You know where the joy comes from today? You know what scripture says? The joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. You know what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. What's that last one? Oh, yes, yeah, self-control, the one I always struggle with, right? God's like, yeah, yeah, I've got it for you, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to be still. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Know that I got your back. Know that I will lead you forward. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We got to be still to recover the joy. Be still to see the strength of the Lord. But here's why it takes this. Not only do we live under the authority of God's word and the community of God's people, it takes the humility of God's heart. It takes the humility of your heart and my heart to slow down and to say, God, I'm going to let you be my joy. This is what happens in verse 13. Right after that, it says, on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, the dads, along with all the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. So for six hours, they hear God's word preached, and then all the dads gathered Ezra around. They said, hey, we got some more questions. Can you help us process through this life? And what they're asking is this, how do I lead my family according to God's way? How do I rebuild my life through my work? How do I commit this to you? I don't know if you know this, but this is what I found out. I'm only 39, but this is what I found out. In every season of life, I don't know what I'm doing. Anybody ever been there? Right, you're, like, you're graduating high school and you're going, I can't wait to be in college. Oh yeah, why are you so excited? I just want to get away from mom and dad, right? Like you don't really know. You've never really been in college. Then you're in college. You're like, I can't wait to get out of college. I want to go make money. I'm like... Just slow your roll, man. Like you've got a long road ahead. You actually, you might want to take a COVID year. You might want to take a seventh year or an eighth year of college, you know? And then sometimes we get out of college and we get a job and we're single. We go, I, just, I, I can't wait to get married. And beside that one reason why we can't wait to get married, right? You're like, hold up, man. Why do you want to get married? I don't know. I just want to get married. Why are you getting married? You don't know what you're doing. And then we have this crazy idea. I can't wait to have kids. We're going to pray for you. Right? You know, it's like, because you definitely don't know what you're doing when you have kids. But then there's seasons, man. We, we, we become an empty nester. 
And what happens is this, all of our basics get exposed, don't they? What have we built our life on? And then we're an empty nester and we don't know how to be an empty nester. And then we approach retirement and then here's the thing, we don't know how to be retired. I'm just letting you know this. This is what happens here in Nehemiah chapter 8 is this. They come back to the word of God and they say, God, I don't know, but you do. See, this is the good news of our faith. Our faith begins like this. You saw Kelsey get baptized and you know what she was saying when she got baptized? God, I don't know how to save myself, but I believe you do. God, I don't know how to redeem my past, but I believe you do. God, I don't know how to plan my future, but you do. And what you find is this, sometimes we, we, we feel afraid or we're afraid to tell people we don't have it all together. And no, that is why we come and we lay our lives before Jesus is because we know we don't have it all together, but we know he does. And what happens is this, when we begin to lay our lives before him, the joy of the Lord begins to be our strength in ways that no other thing in this world is our strength. And here's what happens. The humility of God's heart looks like this. We just simply confess our need for God's wisdom. God, I need your wisdom. That might be your prayer today. God, I need the joy of the Lord to be my strength again. I don't know how to navigate this stuff. I just need your wisdom. Would you restore your joy to me again? What's interesting is this. Not only do the dads come together and they start diving in the word going, okay, we want to learn how to be a great dad. God, we need your word. We need your direction. In chapter 9, it says this in verse 1. It says, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together. It's not just the dads. Now it's all the people gathering together. And they began fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads, letting them know, going, okay, we don't have it together, but God, we're presenting our lives to you. And it says those of the Israelite descendants had separated themselves from all other foreigners, all other nations, and they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. And they stood where they were and read from the book of the law and the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping their Lord. They just came back to the basics of going, God, we realize we've tried to run our life. We realize that our fathers have tried to just run their life the best that they could. And here's what they got. They didn't get one handful of peace. They got two handfuls of just a disastrous life. And God, we repent of that. We, we, we confess that, that that is not the way we want to go. And they just confess this to the Lord. See, here's what the humility of God's heart looks like. One, it confesses our need for God's wisdom, but it confesses our need for God's grace. And this feels so backwards because it feels like we're, we're admitting defeat. The only problem is this, we're already battling defeat and what God wants to give us is victory. What God wants to do is he wants to restore us. That's why he called his people back. He didn't build the walls just to build walls. He wanted to bring his salvation back to his people. He wants to bring his salvation. He wants to bring his hope to you today. He wants to give you Jesus. He wants to give you joy that you do not have today. But it comes when you and I slow down and we say, God, I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your grace. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, God talks to his people once again through his prophet Isaiah. And he tells us 
what our life looks like, how we can find this joy, how we can live in the goodness and the basics of grace. He says this in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. He says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. You know where your salvation is not? It's not in your earning and it's not in your effort. It's in your repentance and your rest in God. That God, you are my salvation. And then he goes on to say this, in quietness and trust is your strength. When we're still before God and we go, God, I'm messed up. And I need your hand of mercy. But Isaiah says this, in quietness and trust is your strength. But he says, but you would have none of it. The people of God wouldn't have it. They wouldn't return to the basics. They wouldn't quiet their souls. They wouldn't repent of their sins. They wouldn't turn. They wouldn't allow God's word to lead them. And it says this in verse 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Do you hear that today, church? Man, the Lord longs to be gracious to you today in Jesus. He rises to show you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. Here it is, blessed are all who wait for him. The joy of the Lord is your strength. No matter what you face, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've been blind to, and no matter what you confess, what happens is this, when we confess him as savior, the joy of the Lord becomes our strength and it navigates and it carries us through and it holds us together while we wait for him. And what I wanna do right now is I just wanna take a moment, not just to inspire, but I wanna give you a moment of encounter with your savior. And so if you would, would you just bow your heads with me? If you're online, I want to, wherever you are, maybe in your living room, I just want to invite you to bow your heads. And this is what I want to do just in this moment. is to be still. To quiet our souls. And repentance and rest is your salvation. God's done it all. He's just saying, will you receive the grace, the joy, the peace, the love, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control of my spirit today. Right now, I just wanna invite you just to tell the Lord What's been stealing your joy? And ask him to be your joy today. Let's talk to our savior right now, Jesus. God, I believe by the power of your spirit, you're revealing to us the errors of our way, not to condemn us, but to lead us in the way of freedom, to lead us in the way of hope, 
And Father, I pray right now for all of us, God, who have lost joy, who have forgotten that Jesus, you are our joy because the circumstances have been overwhelming. We don't know how to get ourselves out of this situation and the whole time you're just going, just be still. Be still and know that I'm God. And so in this moment, Father, we just stop. We know that all the circumstances won't stop, but God, we're gonna stop. And we're gonna declare that you are our joy right now. That Father, we don't know how all the things are gonna work themselves out, but God, we know you are the God who is working all things out. And so today, Father, by the power of your spirit, would you bring your joy, your abundant joy, into the front of our hearts and our minds again today. Jesus, in you alone is our rest. Jesus, in you alone is our strength. Jesus, in you alone is our hope. So thank you for being faithful to us. God, even when we weren't faithful to you, you are ever faithful to us. Today, Jesus, may your joy overwhelm and pour out from us. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said together, Amen. May you walk in his joy together, everybody. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.